Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we bring back Wildstorm, name a film, Logan, catch up with Midnighter and Apollo, and go to Virginia for some moonshine. Stay tuned for all this and more. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. Heck yeah! Oh, oh, it's been oh, we have a we apparently have a visitor. This week, yes, it's our mascot, Heckyazzy. Ooh, nope. Or, or he- nope. or Hexy. Nope. Hexy. Nope. Lost it. Yazzy. Nope. Yazzy. Like like Yahtzee. Or we could take the H and the Y and make up a name from that. You know, Hank. Hanky Yazaria. Hank. Does not start with a Y. Like Hank, I don't know, Youngblood. I said Yazaria, not Azaria. Oh, Yazaria. Yazaria. Fine. Hank Yazaria. Hank Azaria's evil twin. Cousin. (laughs) Yeah, maybe we need a mascot. Maybe that's what we're missing. Maybe mascots just make people take notice. What we're missing. What we're missing is some professionalism around here. Hi, everybody. I'm David. That's Nick. This is the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. Nick is currently Googling something, which I will attempt at all costs to not let him talk about here on the show. What I want to talk about is what a big week in television this is, especially for nerds. Yeah, David, uh, why don't you talk about it? (laughs) While you continually Googling something? No, I... So, dear listeners, I was in fact trying to check our inbox for Heck oh, yeah, Comics no, no, to see no. if we had any fan mail or anything, no, no. and David was trying to stop me from letting all you know that we hear you or slash see you and want to comment on it. So David is basically like an oppressor, basically, I just want to say. What I'm, right what I'm wanting to talk about... David the Oppressor, yes. ...is the fact that you stopped that right now. What I want to talk about is the fact that, I mean, we had Luke Cage come out this week. We had the Flash start. We had the Arrow start. Not the Arrow, just Arrow. Uh, We have Supergirl coming back. We have Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, I think Gotham's already back, too. Gotham's back. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is back. But let's... this This is all nothing compared to Westworld, which is now on HBO... And it has nothing to do with comics. And is incredible. It is so, very good. It's so good. It very good. Very cerebral. Hey, it has... Okay, it's... I can make it comics related. Go. Cyclops is in it. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So, yes, uh, Westworld features Cyclops as a, uh android um, theme park host. David, why don't you just, um, I'm not feeling synopsis-y, so why don't you kind of hit the synopsis for, for Westworld feel- just for people to, you know. 
Uh, Westworld is based on a movie from uh, I f- actually forget what year it came like out. Like 1970, yeah, something, something like that. We did this on the other podcast I'm part of. Uh, it is about an amusement park called Westworld in which guests get to live in the Wild West and do whatever they want. And 1973. the entire park is staffed by robots who in the show are called hosts who are there for the guests will to fight them when they want to fight, to sleep with them when they want to sleep with them, to do anything they absolutely want them to do. Uh, but of course, the story starts with the robots as they are beginning to break down. And I felt like this first issue was really kind of a prologue to the bigger stuff first that's episode. coming. What did I say? First issue? It's a yeah. habit. This first episode felt like a prologue because I think next episode, I almost said issue again, uh, we're getting introduced to a guy who looks like he's going to kind of be the main character, kind of our point of view character. Uh, but I yeah, I really enjoyed uh, what we've seen so far. And uh, yeah, we got we got Ed Harris in the cast, uh, James Marsden, Evan Rachel Wood, uh, Anthony Hopkins. That you know, it's, it's a lot of lot of good names there. The guy from Catching Fire, that I'm, Jeffrey Wright. I can't I remember his actual name, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, uh, Jeffrey Wright. Yep. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Wright. Wright. Yep. And it's it's yeah, oh, also comic connection. You got J.J. Abrams. You've got uh, Jonathan Nolan producing. You got a lot of. A lot of talent behind this. This is supposedly HBO's new, uh, new push, like their new Game of Thrones replacement is what they're hoping for, you know. And uh, I, I think it could pull it off. I mean, honestly, it's it's obviously it's only been the first episode. I was listening to NPR, and I mean, the, the segment wasn't about this, but they touched on Westworld briefly, and the, the guy that the the hosts were interviewing it said he'd already seen the first four episodes and was speaking very highly of it. So mm-hmm. I yeah. mean you know I mean I think comparing it to Game of Thrones as far as it being an it thing is fair, you know, obviously with Game of Thrones you have a sprawling fantasy landscape where so many different narratives can intertwine. I feel like Westworld you know is is really all centered around this theme park. So whether or not it goes on for eight seasons, I don't think maybe the show is built for that. But certainly we could get, you know, three to maybe up to five seasons yeah. with this show telling, I hope, a very concentrated, specific story. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting because the concept of the robots breaking down, you know, you can't drag that on for several seasons. That feels kind of like the season one plot. But you have to think that with the with the talent behind it, they can find a way to extend that and, you know, probably they already have plans on how they could extend that beyond. Uh, Mm -hmm. One thing I I just want to say, and we'll move on and talk about actual comics here in a moment, but I just really enjoyed Westworld. Uh, I didn't really follow a lot of, like, I just saw a couple previews here and there. Did And this is in the first 10 minutes, so it's not a spoiler. Um, But, I mean, it was surprising. Did you expect James Marsden to be a robot? I didn't. To be honest, I thought because I thought so anyone well was coming in on the train was is, was a human was a host, yeah, human. Yeah. So, uh, but just, then once once it happened, I was like, oh, I can, you know, because their whole talk of the different narratives that they have available for for the guests to follow that like they would do something like that. But yeah, no, that that I think that was the point was was to shock you in that way. Yeah, yeah, I thought because uh, Ed Harris looks like he's playing a character. Seemed like he was playing a character from the the nineteen seventies movie called The Gunslinger, uh, what, who is a robot played by Yul Brynner. 
but he's actually a, a person and apparently a very significant character. And oh man, Westworld is so good. But we're going to uh, for for the sake, we're going to move on now. Uh, also in in TV talk, and we won't get into this, but this was a nice segue into news. We did find out that Marvel's Iron Fist TV series is premiering March seventeenth of next year. Uh, with that, let's take a look at the news. Our top story today. After a disappointing summer, Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. I forgot that how short that transition clip was. And with that, we are now going to talk about the fact that Comixology has announced Originals, a new line of original comics. Comicology Originals is a new program for the Amazon division and will offer new comics content on exclusively on Comicsology and Kindle. Blah. The singles will be priced at $3.99 and graphic novels at $9.99. This is USD. All are available for pre-order today. And I believe we had an announcement of three titles which I'm pulling up now. One uh, is Adventure Time, The Marshall Lee Spectacular, uh, which is three all-new original Marshall Lee stories set in the Boom Studios best-selling continuation of comic uh, Cartoon Network's Adventure Time. We also have Valiant High uh, from Valiant Entertainment, which is a reimagining of Valiant's superhero universe set in high school and... <laughs> Keep going. And Marley's Ghost, which is a comic based on a Christmas carol, because we need more adaptations of a Christmas carol. But Nick, your thoughts—I I mean, I have some thoughts myself, but I want to hear what you have to, what, what your thoughts are on on this n announcement. Anyone can start a comic book imprint. But this isn't a comic book imprint. This this is they they are Pro, sorry a program. Okay. It, it, but it but it is it's it's sorry. I, I guess you're correct um, that it's it's not an imprint like say Marvel Comics as an imprint or DC or Boom or whatever. It's it's actually other publishers developing content exclusively for Comicsology. So I take that back. Mm -hmm. I didn't word it correctly. But at the end of the day, anyone can market something. Anyone can create a new program, a new initiative. And all the power to Comicsology. Uh, there's no reason why it should fail, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the content. So far, I actually um, just because I do like some Valiant stuff, I, I, I do find their whole Valiant High kind of cheeky and fun, so mm -hmm. I might check that out. But at the end of the day, it really just comes down to the content. So all the best to Comicsology in this endeavor. Uh, I'm excited to see what more material comes out of it. It's it's an interesting idea. I, I have two thoughts, and unfortunately they're not very positive thoughts. Uh, one, and this is some commentary I was reading from other people, is that the content that they're releasing uh, feels a bit additive. It doesn't feel like a, a very big deal. Um, like there's there's some kind of fun stuff there, but it's nothing that I feel like I need to you know, I, I necessarily need to get, especially at a three ninety nine for a single issue price point. And this is exclusively digital. There is no physical copy of these books. They are coming exclusively digital and they're they're coming at us for four dollars, which I mean I'm sorry, that's that's a high kind of a high price point for I feel like what we're getting here. 
Like the nine ninety nine for graphic novels, that's not bad. That's reasonable. Uh, depending, you know, on how many how many pages, of course, going kind of both ways. Uh, but I'm much more willing to, you know, pay nine ninety nine to get a graphic novel than I am four dollars for one fourth of that story. I think those are fair points. I know that, and you know, obviously, I can't verify the validity of of it. And I don't know if I was like I was reading from a comic book professional's like Tumblr page or where I saw this. It may have been an, like a, an actual article where they they broke down that it's not simply that you know, the digital comic like these are obviously original content, so I can totally see where you're coming from. But that like when a Spider-Man comic comes out in the store and on Comixology on the same day, that they're the same price. And that, especially with Marvel, some most publishers seem to like knock it down a buck after a month or something. But but the fact that right away still, that it's not simply that they're doing it to um, to placate like the the brick and mortar stores or anything, or that there's some sort of politics behind it. Again, this is this is based on this article that I read that I I won't go too deep into just because I don't want to make claims that might that I might just be misremembering. But basically that when you break down the operating costs to create that comic book and to distribute that comic book, whether it be like there's different operating costs on a digital platform than, than there are on a, a physical platform, but at the same, but they basically find a way to sort of, um, what's what I'm looking for, um, validate that price point for both digital and for, for print, mm-hmm. you know, let yeah. alone the fact that, you know, let's say this original content, like comic book creators are already paid, pennies basically right for the right. work that they do so if you're so if these two people that if this was a physical copy would justify say the four dollars which even people for physical copies say four dollars is too much you know but again they're obviously they're not selling that many copies of comics in general and now you're saying let's cut that price maybe in half and yeah even though it's digital when it comes to the the creator costs like they're gonna end up getting paid even less now yeah i i do you know, I'm playing a little bit devil's advocate. It all is also a little bit how I feel. I do want comics creators to get paid more, but the difficulty is depending on how many pages I'm getting, you know, I, it's a lot, it's hard for me to say I want to pay $5 for 20 pages every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I, I, and I do completely understand there are of course costs uh, in, <laughs> that's the first time of the night that Nick has dropped the pencil he tosses around. Uh, like there are operating costs in putting up digital comics. I don't want to diminish that at all. Uh, it's yeah, it's just you know coming at a four dollar price point for something that could be very exciting when you're when I feel like maybe because maybe because we're not getting content that to me is very exciting. But I do hope it's successful for them and that this can lead to to bigger and better things and maybe some books that I'm willing to pay, you know, close to $4 for. I mean, I think you're right on that, like, not to disparage the, the current offerings, that are their, their out-of-the-gate offerings, but it, it does feel ancillary in a way, if I'm mm-hmm. saying that word correctly, as I often don't. Um, so, it's like if they're going to have this initiative and they want to get people on board, you usually want to get your big guns out front. And right now, like, nothing against the work the, the, in question, but, I mean... An, uh, an offbeat Valiant book about their characters in high school, while very fun, you know, isn't the kind of book that screams matters. And unfortunately, these days, you know, I won't speak for everyone, but usually what matters 
is what's important. So if you told me that the next Valiant event, then this might be a little bit too big, you know, major Valiant event was coming to the uh, digital exclusive platform, that would be a sort of sit up and take notice thing, you know, and it's, it's cool of some independent or offbeat or smaller, you know, not as epic, epically minded projects make their way through. But again, for an announcement of this, that's something I think they want to get some traction for the, like these, all, I mean the, the adventure time thing, you know, God bless it. But uh, I mean, it has just, that does scream just like padded material, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it doesn't, won't have any bearing on the show, you know, let alone probably any of the other comic stories. So it just kind of feels like, no offense to Free Comic Book Day, but kind of the stuff that you get on Free Comic Book Day where it's mm. kind of teases and or like reprints or just kind of like pot- potentially stuff that don't, doesn't matter. That doesn't qualify for everything that comes on Free Comic Book Day. But it, it, it does kind of just feel sort of like a, a primer that they'll hand off to you. Right. You know well, what I mean? So We'll see how it plays now, out. Now you've got me feeling... The pessimism. When I was starting out with totally like, hey, it's just about the content. Then I realized, all right, let's talk about the content. Oh well, I guess I'm not that excited. Well, well, Nick, but, then why don't then why don't you tell us about something that's a little more exciting? Yeah, this is something that like I feel like deep down I've been anticipating for a long time, especially uh, in light of the whole rebirth, you know, being very successful for DC. But uh, apparently, they have tasked Warren Ellis. Both, and this is both surprising and unsurprising, but they've tasked Warren Ellis to spearhead the return of the Wildstorm line of characters. So, for those that don't know, hmm. Wildstorm was an imprint created by Jim Lee when he helped co-found Image. Basically, all the Image guys create Image comics, and then underneath Image, they all have their own imprints like Top Cow, and uh, that's all I remember. <laughs> um <laughs> And, and Wildstorm was Jim Lee's, but eventually Jim Lee sold Wildstorm to DC, and that became DC's Wildstorm imprint. And this is putting it nicely, though I'm, I'm sure there's some real gems in the in the early books, but it was basically Jim Lee doing his Marvel's greatest hits, you know? Um, and it really, I feel, and someone else could correct me if I'm wrong, that it wasn't really until Warren Ellis came in and revamped Stormwatch and then turned Stormwatch into what became the Authority and also Planetary, which was his own original creation, but set in the Wildstorm universe, that the rest of the the boats in the the Wildstorm ocean sort of rose with it. You know, it became a universe where you could do things almost in a way like the Ultimate Universe for Marvel, where you couldn't get away with things that you could get away with in the main DC universe. Like, characters could go to further extremes. You could change the world drastically. And I guess, much like the Ultimate Universe, they had one too many cataclysms, and Mm -hmm. I felt like by the end of it, the world was unrecognizable. So it's finding that balance that I'm now going to digress because I realize I'm gearing Ray off on a tangent here. (laughs) But So basically, uh, Warren Ellis is going to act as a curator of this new rebooted Wildstorm universe. So I guess he's coming with a lot of the initial ideas and one book in particular called The Wild Storm with art by John Davis Hunt, who you might know from the book The Clean Room, which I believe is written by Gail Simone. Um, it will sort of be the launch pad for the overall universe and more books will come out of it. Um, I think that's awesome. I mean, again, it's really it's going to come down to the content. It's cool that the Wildstorm universe as an entity is coming back. It's cool that they're starting fresh because I think they really needed to. Uh, and it's also obviously good that they can, you know, whereas in the be- 
originally Warren Ellis had to take some of these maybe not really well working '90s concepts and and turn them into something bigger and better. This is something where he can kind of look at them and create this ultimate version of of Wildstorm from the beginning. And last but not least, my only I'm, I'm not not really concerned, but I'm curious what the impact, if any, this has on the presence of Wildstorm characters that are now in the DCU as of the New Fifty Two. We've only really been seeing Midnighter and Apollo as far as the heroes go in in the universe for a while now, but the other characters obviously are there, and there's a history established that they're there, and I don't really want to lose that Midnighter slash Dick Grayson dynamic that they've that they've really built up in the books. Not that it comes around a lot, but I, I like it. So is this something where when the Wildstorm universe comes to fruition, are they going to slowly fade these characters out? Um, or are they basically kind of like with Marvel, the main Marvel universe and the ultimate universe, so they're going to let them sit side by side and we can see the characters, not necessarily bounce back and forth, but we'll see the DC version of Midnighter and we'll see the Wildstorm version of Midnighter. But either way, it's a wait and see kind of thing and I am excited for it, so... Well, very cool. I don't really have anything to add. I you know, I gave this news story to you because I knew you had a, a bigger history with uh, with the Wildstorm characters, and this seems like it's going to be an interesting uh, interesting idea with Warren Ellis behind it, and probably a chance for me to uh, to get to know these characters a bit. Uh, but you know, speaking of things that I have a a strong familiarity with. Dark Horse uh, has announced that they are going to bring Neil Gaiman's American Gods to comics. And they have assembled an all-star cast of creators for a 27-issue adaptation of Neil Gaiman's American Gods novel. Uh, P. Craig Russell and Scott Hampton will be in charge of the book, and it will be divided up into three story arcs called Shadows, My Ansel, and The Memories of the Storm, which will be called... The Moment of the Storm. The Moment of the Storm. I apologize. Uh, The first issue of American Gods Shadows goes on sale March 15th, 2017. March is going to be a big month uh, next year for comics. Uh, But P. Craig Russell will be writing the book, or writing the, yeah, the book with uh, Hampton, on art, and the series will include a number of guest artists, uh, including Walt Simonson, Mark Buckingham uh, of Fables fame, and Colleen Duran, uh, along with P. Craig Russell doing some art himself, and more, who have yet to be announced. Uh, But this is really exciting for me. I'm very excited for the Stars TV show that's coming out. We got a little bit, uh, we got a look at, uh, you know, I think one one piece of art uh, with this announcement of the uh, the Buffalo Man, uh, who plays a very interesting part in the story, and I I can't wait to see this representation. As excited as I am for the show, uh, you know, there's not a lot. Uh, th- there's a lot from the book that I don't think could be adapted into a TV show, even despite what we can do with with CGI and special effects and makeup these days. Uh, and so they, you know, they're, they've made some changes and adaptations that seem really, really interesting. Uh, but I'm very curious to see sort of more of a, a, a pure adaptation of of the story and of Gaiman's uh, words on the page. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm super into this i'm sure i'll be going uh you know up and down about it when it debuts next year 
Uh, it's one of my favorite books that I just recently reread in anticipation of the TV show. So maybe I'll you know find time to reread it again before uh, before this comic hits shelves. Yeah, I mean, I'm off, I have American Gods sitting on my work desk right now, and I unfortunately was really in like I, I had restarted it for the third time. I've t- attempted to read this book three times now where I usually get about I'm not halfway yet, but I usually get halfway around the funeral parlor uh, segment and then for some reason just drop it. Like I'm loving the book and then I just for some reason just stop. Like it doesn't want me to finish it. But uh, I do plan on finishing it before the show airs. And I, you know, definitely I, I, I've always enjoyed Scott Hampton's art, though I don't typically check out a lot of the, the books that he does. Uh, and I've, I mean, I've probably read, if not seen, work by P. Craig uh, Russell, um, and they, they're kind of like just star stalwarts of the, uh, the industry, you know, that just turn out, you know, very steady, strong work. So I think the book is in good hands. And I imagine a lot of these guest artists are probably doing like one or two page segments, like either interludes or back matter content, like some of the, like the little side stories they tell in the book that I've noticed so far yeah, will yeah. probably be filled out by guest artists. Yeah, they'll they'll do stories of some of the gods around the uh the world. Uh and yeah, that's that's the perfect place, I guess, in America, not around the world. Uh but various gods from around the world in America. But yeah, that'd be the perfect place to get some some guest artists. And there's some very surreal uh, parts of the book and some dream sequences that would all do well with some of these different artists. Nice, nice. Well, uh, while we're waiting for that to come out, they have officially announced the title of Wolverine 3, and it's probably a marketing nightmare, but it will be Logan. That, yep, yep, the movie's going to be called name. Logan. I half expect it to change at some point to just be called Wolverine Logan, which there's precedence there is, in fact, the Marvel miniseries called Wolverine Logan. Um, but, I mean, if they do stick it out with just Logan, I'm totally cool with that. This definitely seems to be following on the all the old man Logan rumors, uh, and I think the fact that it's called Logan has more to do and this is me speculating, but I imagine because this, it's rumored to take place a little bit further into the future, mm-hmm. he's older, his healing factors does, isn't working as well. Well, and if you, um, if you look at, if you look closely at the hand, there's a couple of nicks and scrapes that aren't yep. fully healed. True, 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 true. Um, I think the whole fact that it's called Logan is simply that at this point in, in his narrative, he's given up the Wolverine identity. Like, he's no longer an X-Man. He's no longer a Wolverine. He's probably just trying to live out the rest of his life, and that's when I imagine the shit hits the storm. Mm-hmm. Um, the wild storm. <laughs> shit hits the wild storm. As <laughs> Logan, the movie Logan ends and folds into a wild storm movie. I love it. Yes. Beautiful Wolverine on the Authority fighting Midnighter. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so also, so besides revealing the movie is called Logan, um, they released a poster that shows Wolverine with claws extended, holding the hand of a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am just going on a limb here and assuming that that child is in fact a young X twenty three. There's been rumors that X twenty three would appear in the film, and I can see this, this movie being some sort of dystopian western mutant fiesta with with a retired-ish fiesta. Logan um, t- 
trying to stop a reemerged uh, Weapon X program that's making clones of him to mm-hmm. you know for the latest super soldiers. I think what might will benefit this movie, and I think in some respects it benefited the Wolverine, was that it didn't, at its strongest points, it, it just had nothing to do with the greater X-Men universe. It was just Wolverine being Wolverine. So while there might be some X-Men elements, like there's a rumor that Mr. Sinister might in fact be the villain of this piece, um, that it's really just, again, about Wolverine being Wolverine and the, the shit that he gets into. So as far as the self-contained narrative... And given the caliber of the team that made the Wolverine, um, I'm I, I feel pretty optimistic about this movie. So we shall see. Yeah, yeah. I, a lot of people, you know, it's been going on forever. This is going to be an old man Logan adaptation. And somebody I saw today somewhere was like, "Oh yeah, they can just do old man Logan as is." You know, like right from the page, it'd make a great movie. And I had to stop them and and be like have you ever read old man Logan? Because that movie is lousy with characters that Fox is not allowed to use. Uh, in fact, it hinges on characters that Fox is not allowed to use in their stories. Uh, but yeah. there, there is like a lot of, you know, as you said, there is a lot of potential with an older character. I like the idea of an, an emerged weapon X program, a retired Logan uh, coming back for one last ride. Cause this is, this is supposed to be Hugh Jackman's final go at it as well. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we we you know we'll see. I imagine we will get a trailer coming pretty soon, March third release date, according to the poster that was uh, that was released. So probably with really? wow, yeah, probably with Doctor sure, Strange, sure. we'll get a teaser. Uh, I'm in you know we got to start getting marketing going out here pretty soon. But Very mark, true. Mark your calendars, people. March third, we will see Logan in theaters. And, of course, there's other news stories we don't really have time to fully discuss. Like, I see Nick has mentioned that Suicide Squad is getting an extended cut coming in November. Yes. Uh, do we have an idea of how long the running time is going to be there? Um, I don't know if I even bothered to check the article itself. Well, that's... Because I'm, I'm a great uh, reporter. Do I qualify as a reporter? No. Uh, I think it's just the date and that it's an extended cut. Um doesn't seem to say anything about okay. the time. Uh, well, we know that's coming, and we also know that Ben Affleck's solo Batman film is probably called The Batman. The Batman. Probably. It's If you actually watch like the him talking about it, it's very non-committal, uh, it's, but it's just really funny to watch the internet then explode at that news, where he was just like, yeah, you know, we're... we're Right now we're calling it the Batman, but that might change. I'll be very curious to see, assuming that I live long enough. I, as my approach to everything, assuming I live long enough, because you never know um, what it'll be like to see. You know, because part of me enjoyed Ben Affleck as Batman um, and, and Bruce Wayne. Um, so, I mean, with Justice League coming up, we're still getting the, the Zack Snyder touch. And we probably won't see Batman again, assuming that his that Ben Affleck's Batman movie comes out between Justice League one and two. Um, I'll be curious to see what kind of if he'll just mirror the Zack Snyder aesthetic in a way that like the Wonder Woman movie. I mean, I guess the trailer so far in sort of the palette aesthetic has kind of mirrored three hundred in the Zack in the typical Snyder uh, look. Um, but you know, hopefully DC will start branching out and letting the movies have their own flair 
Uh, anyway, I'm I'm super excited just given Ben Ben Affleck's caliber as a director and storyteller, how mm. that movie's going to shape out. But that's 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 discussion another for another day. Instead, let's talk about some stuff that hit the shelves today. To the Batmobile, let's go. We have we have jumped in the Batmobile and driven over to the pull list, and uh, and Nick. Death of X started today. Yes. Why don't you tell us about it? All right. So Death of X is the long-teased Marvel event that takes us back uh, and revisits the eight-month gap that was between the Secret Wars event from last year and um, the all-new, all-different Marvel initiative. Uh, And more or less is going to reveal what happened to Cyclops and Emma Frost um, during the whole kerfuffle where it was discovered that the Terrigen Mists, for those that don't know, the Terrigen Mists are the concoction or whatever that gives inhumans um, an offshoot, a gen- not a genetic offshoot, a uh, race of humans that were experiment- experimented on by aliens a long time ago. Uh, it, it unlocks... Un- unlocks. <laughs> unlocks their hidden potential. This is where I'm like trying too hard. Um... <laughs> Um, anyway, so at, um, a few years ago at this point, um, Black Bolt, the Inhuman King, uh, releases the, the Terrigen, which is usually like an an insulated thing, ends up releasing the Terrigen Mist out into the world, and it, as the, the, it, it seeps into the atmosphere and sort of travels around as like Terrigen clouds, um, people that have a certain percentage of Inhuman DNA in their system, end up being turned into Inhumans. And sometimes you get super cool powers, sometimes you look super freakish. It's basically X-Men slash Mutants 2.0. And Marvel decided to capitalize on all the fears that fans have had with them, quote-unquote, marginalizing the X-Men, that they turned it into story fodder. And this whole event hinges on how the Terrigen Mists, to get back to where I started, are now shown to be deadly to mutants. (gasps) Yeah, pretty interesting stuff in <laughs> excuse me in in the the book. Um, my take basically the art is next level stuff from Aaron Cooter. Aaron Cooter, for those that don't know, has mostly been working at DC for the last several years. He did have, I think, a couple stints at Marvel prior to going over and being DC. I don't know if he was truly DC exclusive, but he was working exclusively for DC um, and has some great work done on Action Comics and some Superman books. Um, but now he's back at Marvel and this is his big Marvel, true Marvel debut. And I mean, his artwork is just, it's well defined. The characters are expressive. His storytelling is clear. It's just, the book was wonderful to look at, even if I may not have cared as much for the content and kind of getting to the content and the overall writing. It was solid meh. Uh, sorry. <laughs> it was meh solid. It was like, Charles Soule and Jeff Lemire. Charles Soule is writing the Inhuman books for Marvel. Jeff Lemire is writing X-Men books for Marvel, or writing one of the X-Men books for Marvel. Um, so basically the two figureheads right now to those two franchises are co-writing this book. I believe, if I read the interview correctly, that they're basically writing, you know, Charles Soule's writing the Inhuman scene. Lemire's writing the X-Men scenes. Um, so, but I, I, I will say that at the very least, I felt like there was a fairly smooth transition. Like, I didn't necessarily feel like the different segments felt like they were being written by different people. I wouldn't say that Soul and Amir have carbon copy styles of each other. 
you know, I've enjoyed a lot of their work, and I didn't not enjoy this, but I just felt like it was just sort of like there. Like it's at this point, I think, especially because this is a book that's revisiting a story that we've been teased, but has technically already taken place. You know, besides learning that a particular fan favorite character of mine is now dead, um, it's sort of just like we're getting to answers that maybe to uh, the macro answers at least we can probably guess. Um, so I just like I wasn't feeling the writing much, and I felt like like I think with a lot of Marvel events or maybe events in general, there was some forced hand waving and some some forced characterization to get from A to B. I, particularly when Cyclops realizes that the Terrigen Mists are deadly. And given recent characterizations with him, I suppose it's not out of character, but his immediate response is, this is an act of war, instead of like, and I realize Marvel doesn't feel like addressing this and probably won't address this, but, I mean, Terrigen have been was traveling the planets for a while now and didn't seem to impact mutants at all, and now suddenly it's like super, super toxic. So maybe someone tampered with it, hmm. so that's deadly for mutants. But whether or not that gets picked up on or even hinted at, I can't say for sure. What we do know since the eight-month gap is that Cyclops is supposedly very dead and that he does something horrendous over the next few issues of this event that, that just, like, like Cyclops is, goes back to being, like, the ultimate pariah of the mutant community, which is unfortunate because I think he's the best X-Man, so I'm a little biased. But... Again, overall, the the true highlight of this book and the thing that's going to keep me coming back is Aaron Cooter's art, and I'm excited to see where he goes from here at Marvel. But as an event goes, um, it it like I guess it's hard to like it again because of the content because it's putting the X Men so much up against the rope. So I I had to go into it with that expectation. And obviously, they're assassinating my favorite character again. Um, so we'll see. But, I mean, like, if you like X-Men, if you like Inhumans, if you like them torturing each other, or if you like it when Marvel tortures you, then you'll probably like Death of X. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, I I don't know much about these uh, this, this event, aside from the fact that Marvel apparently hates mutants now. That's, that's what the internet tells me. That's what I'm going with. <laughs> I will... Uh, David... Oh, sorry. No, 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 no. You go ahead. Tra- no, transition I just, us, I, Nicholas. I love interrupting you, so... Transition us, please. All right. I'm transitioning into David telling me about a book that I've yet to read but hope to read at some point in my lifetime, and uh, it's Moonshine Number 1, right, David? That is correct. I did read Moonshine Number 1 by Brian Azzarello and Eduardo uh, Riso. Right, that's correct. I'm saying that correct. Uh, that's what I, I say. Riso, and that's uh, they're, they're the team behind 100 Bullets, from my understanding. Great uh, book. A book that I have not read, but I, I hope to and plan to uh, when I am able to get around to it. Uh, anyway, this book takes place during Prohibition, and it opens up with uh, three G men who are hunting down a bootlegger. And as they stumble across his facilities, they find themselves attacked by some unseen creature. Uh, the book then cuts away, and we meet our main character, uh, at least for this time, a, a Mr. Uh, Pirlo. That's the name that I'm going with here. Uh, who works for a gangster in, uh, in New York named Joe, who 
has discovered this, uh, you know, this bootlegger who's got great booze out in Virginia, and he wants uh, uh, Pirlo to go seal the deal that they can start bringing his stuff up to New York. Uh, so he goes out there to meet the guy. The meeting doesn't go great, uh, and as he's leaving town or leaving the bootlegger's cabin, he comes across this bonfire. Uh, and that's kind of where the book leaves us. It's uh, you know it's it's a first issue, so I I will just go ahead and say my blanket. It does it does what a, a first issue should do uh, rather well. But now to get more into sort of specifics, it you know it sets up the story fine. Uh, Azarello really brings some creativity to the words on the page. Uh, this is got a very like big noir feel to it you've got a narration uh you know it's set in the prohibition era so everybody's in suits uh i'm a big fan of noir stories so maybe that's part of what's drawing me in here but there are some just really fun lines like i uh in in one bit of narration says i found my wallet under the bed like it was some monster and that that just really stuck out to me as as a very fun line uh, but you, you get a sense of characters very quickly in this book, even ones that show up for just maybe a panel or two. Uh, you get them, what kind of what they're about, or what is supposed to be presented to us. Uh, you feel like you know the mystery that's going on, but there's just something about it that you can't quite put your finger on. Like, I should know this, I should understand this. Mm. Uh you get you get a sense that basically there's there's a werewolf story going on here. Uh, there's a supernatural element, but it's, you know you don't have enough evidence here to really pin anything down. So it does provide the mystery to to have me want to come back next month and uh, and maybe see what's going on. Uh, Risso's art really reminds me of Tim Sale. Um, I haven't read 100 Bullets, so I don't know if if that is common. I, I haven't read actually much with uh, with his art, so I don't know if that's common. Uh, but it, you know, and that kind of feeds into the noir feel uh, feel of it. Tim Sale, in especially the Batman books that I really enjoy, does give it a very noir kind of lots of shadows and dark spaces. Uh, the faces are extremely expressive, and you can always like see the eyes, even if the top half of their face is shadowed by something. Like the eyes are always there. Um, it's a style that I've always really enjoyed because it, you know, reminding me so much of Tim Sale. Uh, and I, you know, I'm excited to see what the more supernatural elements in this, in this art style. So it's really, for me, it's hitting all those sweet spots of, you've got a noir story, you've got, uh, you've got really good artwork and a style that I've always really liked kind of pairing together, um, and you know this is kind of filling that that hole for me while uh while Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips are telling a more modern story uh and not and not a a noir 1920s sort of sort of bit so this will be added to my uh to my monthly list and we'll you know we'll see I'll probably revisit it here on the podcast I feel like I say we'll see a lot I'm becoming suddenly aware of that in this show so I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna work on that I mean, uh, I think when we're dealing with the serialized medium where there's always going to be a next a next chapter, there, there's always going to be a we'll see. Yeah, but I think like I've said it like five times in this episode. Writer, you uh, listeners, have. you can write in and tell me how many times I've said it. Uh, <laughs> Fact checkers, go. Anyway. That, you know what? Just to comment briefly on the comparison between 
Tim Sale and Eduardo Riso. Those are now that you're saying it and I'm thinking about it, there's like there's something that's very distinct about them, but you're right in the way that they handle the the what their use of blacks on the page and, and how they shadow the characters is uh, very fundamentally I I agree similar. Uh, now I kind of want to put some of their work side by side and, and see where the similarities and differences are. But that's that's kind of cool. Like it's just like turning around in my head now trying to c- compare them together. But um, yeah, I mean at the very least they both have noir down pat. Yeah, I would say maybe Tim Sale, and it's been a little while since I've read a, a Tim Sale uh, book. But I feel like maybe there's a, his work is a little more angular. Uh, there's like a little mm-hmm. more edges to it, and this doesn't really have that same sort of like sharp edge feel to the art. Not everybody's is kind of broad shouldered. Uh, yeah, Riso's artwork feels a bit more three dimensional, whereas I always felt like Tim Sale's artwork can be a bit flat, but not in a bad way. No, just. no, no. Yeah, and, and Riso's faces are much more expressive. Um, that's something that I meant to kind of get away in what I was talking about or get through what I was talking about earlier. Um, yeah, he, he draws much more expressive faces and not to say that Tim Sale doesn't convey emotion well, but everybody is typically very stoic mm-hmm. with maybe a slight smile where this kind of like every panel, there's different looks on, on the faces except for the characters who are meant to be stoic, but it's not everybody. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Yeah, I definitely hope to read it soon. And given your good judgment on it, I can only imagine it'll end up on my monthly pull list. Oh, definitely yeah. a book to revisit, maybe after the first arc wraps, and kind of see where it where it takes us. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, also out this week is a book that I think uh, we were both looking forward to, and that is Midnighter and Apollo Number One by Steve Orlando and Fernando Blanco. This was a book that was announced kind of a little ways back, so it is coming in from DC at three ninety nine, which actually surprised me for a brief moment. But it's not part of the Rebirth storyline. So Nick, what oh, you can charge an extra buck. What is it about, though? Uh, basically, it's the world's finest couple uh, back in action and doing what they do best, uh, which is foiling the uh, machinations of a resident Wildstorm bad guy, Henry Bendix. Uh, Henry Bendix came back into this onto the scene at near the end of the last Midnighter series that Steve Orlando did, and this is more or less following up on some of those plot points. Um, basically, Henry Bendix wants to do bad stuff. Midnighter and Apollo want to stop him. Um, the book, and I think what Steve Orlando really cut his teeth on with the previous series, and it's just showing in this first issue, is that he really knows how to cut out the was it shape is that the, the right the right term he, he he cuts out the fat of the story uh-huh. um it's it's hard hitting it's it's snappy the dialogue is snappy you know but without necessarily losing sight of, of a character's essence uh especially midnighter but i'd even say henry bendix had a very distinct personality um in his uh some some of his scenes the only character that i feel like hasn't shown a lot of personality yet is apollo um even in my earlier Wildstorm readings of him, he's always felt kind of like a blank slate. Like he's he's very he's I wouldn't necessarily call him stoic, but he he doesn't have a lot, doesn't come off as having a lot of dimensions to him. And maybe it's that sort of Superman Boy Scout you know thing that he, in a sense he's I guess he's boring. Uh, though I there's a, something about Apollo that I do find intriguing. 
But anyway, uh, it's really the, the first book kind of sets them up with stopping a demon train, which is a, a train, a train golem. Train golem. Sorry, sorry. Such a crazy idea. Uh, they, they given it. I don't have the issue in front of me, but the the name of like the bandits that like they, the train runs on the innocence of children. Oh, it's, so it's, it's like it's it's insane. Uh, the god train runs on innocence. Yeah. And uh, and there's so like some of the names of the pirates like there's half beard. Uh, Who literally has half, half a, a beard. beard? Yeah, they're they're subway pirates. It's just it's absolutely ridiculous. Subway pirates. That's what it was. That's what I was thinking of. It's it's one of those openings that's like this book is taking place in DC, and it's not that crazy stuff doesn't happen in DC, but it's almost played so nonchalantly, like. You know, when you're getting up in the morning and taking, like, the New York subway or whatever, like, you're going to cr- come across subway pirates that have a demon-possessed god train that runs on the innocence of children. Like, it's it's the kind of thing that uh, another book might spend issues sort of building up the mystery of and then reveal it, whether it be ridiculous or not. And this book is just like, nah, this is our opening act. <laughs> um, beyond the opening act, it spends some time sort of establishing the characters in their their quieter personal lives they have some friends over um so two of them they're supporting characters from the last midnighter series um and then it also shows um some heated moments between midnighter and apollo if you catch my drift there's um, a sex scene yeah there's a sex i mean i it, it's more of a tease is the fact that they're like having sex and then moves on to the next scene so it's not like it's not. You it's know. it's not. It's explicit. not like panel to panel action. No, no. But <laughs> but but I mean like it's it's, it's a it's like a PG certain. it's a PG thirteen sex scene. Yeah, yeah. And actually, that you know when you're, you're talking about Apollo doesn't have a ton of personality. I, I get where you're coming from on that, but I really did enjoy their, uh, you know their their post their post coital talk, where. Uh, you know, obviously things have been a little rough between them. They're still kind of navigating the waters of a new relationship, uh, and they're trying to be a little more honest with one another. Uh, and so you have Apollo coming out like, "Look, Midnighter, you're great, and I, I don't want to change you, but maybe you, maybe you shouldn't kill people." And you know, Midnighter coming back of like, "This is who I am." Uh. <laughs> It, it, it does it, it does present a good sort of a good sort of template for characterization more for Apollo I would say because obviously he's the goody two shoes and so how does he reconcile his feelings for a killer uh, while while still maintaining his hero status? Yeah, honestly, that thank you that you know that definitely helps going back to actually digging into his characterization. You know it. Maybe because he's not the bad boy, you know, that seems like he's got a chip on his shoulder or some dark traumatic past, though I suppose being experimented on by aliens is pretty traumatic. Um, you know, I think there's certainly room for improvement. I kind of want them to grow his hair back out. I don't know if it's like they were trying to avoid, like, with Marvel's Sentry care. I mean, Apollo came first, but with, like, his Sentry guys, also a Superman, you know, archetype and but had like long hair and I don't know. I, I kind of would love for them to hew more closer to his wild storm outfit and look, but that's totally you know, surface level stuff. Um, but yeah, no, the, the characterization in this book was on point again, hard hitting quick, 
doesn't waste a lot of time. I mean, a lot of the scenes were basically like a page long, you know, one or two pages maybe, which on one hand made you feel like you covered a lot of ground um, while also not letting the pedal up and you just, you get from A to B very quickly. But, and I find a very satisfying way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, they, they introduce a number of things in this issue. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe a little bit too much because there's some stuff that happened that I felt like I should get what's going on here immediately. Uh, and I, I, I don't. Uh, like near the end of the issue before Apollo gets whisked away to that dark world that he gets sent to, we have Midnighter reacting to it and he sees, you know, he sees Apollo's fighting this alien and he starts getting like very like, oh no, like he knows something's about to happen. Like, but I, I feel like we as the audience don't have that sense yet. I don't know. It was that, that part was a little bit clunky to me. Uh, uh, and overall, I did enjoy this book. I thought the opening sequence uh, was a little bit hard to, to follow. The, the the like the train sequence with the way they set it up, um, like that that two page splash was really fun, but just like some of the inserts kind of like confused me. Th- those are those are probably like my complaints. I'm using air quote complaints with the book because I do I did enjoy it overall, uh, and I and I want to see these next five issues and how they play out. Um, but yeah, they, they do establish a number of things in this book and do pretty well of making it a good jumping on point. Uh, though there definitely are some terms that are thrown out that you, it feels like, you know, you should have some level of knowledge of these characters, at least Google it. I would say, yeah, this this definitely is a book because it's a continuation and really in sort of, again, quickly hits on some like just really obscure like I think all the people you meet in the Oblivion Bar in the Oblivion Bar itself is an obscure DC thing. Um, all the different magic characters you meet in there are are very obscure. I don't think they give a name to the things that are fighting the Apollo fights towards the end of the issue, but I'm pretty sure they've shown up before. Uh, and of course Henry Bendix and a lot of the elements it just uses them for the plot but have deeper relevance to the greater DCU, or at least it's, it's publishing history. Um, it was very interesting. And it's interesting that you had a problem with those inset panels that showed some of the little micro actions. Cause a- Andrea Sorrentino does that all the time in his artwork. But well, but he does it to highlight. Uh, I would say I would, what, what about them was not highlighting stuff. There were like, and it, there's times where it was highlighting, but there's times where it was continuing the action. Uh, like in the top half of it, uh, you know, he's he's pulling someone by the collar, and there is a, a a little inset panel of him pulling the guy by the collar. Okay, like that's what's happening there. There's like a part where a guy's hitting his head like on the ceiling. There's an inset panel of the guy hitting his head on the ceiling, and then there's one near on the bottom where Midnighter is. Uh, doing like he's, uh, you know, got the the pole that he's like spinning around. He's grabbing it with two hands, and then the inset panel is him holding it with one hand, and the next panel is him throwing it. And it was just like they they changed the use of the inset panels. This is something that no one else in the world is gonna have problems with. This is just something that like hit me, uh, and so really it's like it, that's why I say it's like it's a non-complaint. Uh, but yeah, like right there it. 
like at the, in the top part, he was using it to highlight. In the bottom part, he was using it to extend the action. And just that that switch, just for a brief moment, kind of threw me off. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, no, when you say it, something like that, you know, there may, maybe could have been better uses for them. But, yeah, I think you're just you're nitpicking at this point. I, I say I, it affectionately. Um, I, I so mean, there's, overall, some, there's some big blood on that pan, on that page, too. Oh, yes. Um, so I think overall, we're very happy with the book that we got. We're excited for the next five issues. Hopefully, uh, it does well enough for DC that we'll get more Midnighter and Apollo stories. Um, yeah, they're, they're so characters that pop up every few years, it feels like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes I would even argue for, you know, the, the never-ending DC characters that everyone needs a break. I think that for some of these characters that for whatever reason can't sustain an ongoing book... You know, being the fact that at least when they do come back, like they typically come back not because they just need to throw out a series, but because they have the time to wait for that perfect pitch and develop the book the way it needed to be developed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's better than just like, oh, we need to publish a Batman comic every week. You know what I mean? There's right when you, when you get onto that, like these um, these feel more like passion products where you have someone who's coming out of the book because they really want to get it done versus like this is the thing that this is the status quo that we always have to accomplish yeah yeah so very cool midnighter and apollo are back yeah midnight at the apollo and you know my suggestion would just be if you're familiar with these characters then awesome go for it if you're not maybe you know maybe look back at some of this previous some of the previous work before jumping in or wait until this is all said and done because i bet when everything's kind of put together, it's going to be a great story that's fluid, but you might be a little bit lost in this first issue. At the very least, check out the DCU Midnighter series oh, that absolutely. Steve Orlando did before this. Like, bare minimum, I mean, I suppose you can just read this book and call it a day, but, I mean, it's a great book in of itself, so um, I'm going to prematurely recommend Steve Orlando and Akko's uh, Midnighter series from the DCU. Uh, it's great stuff. And I think that'll about do us for comic books. That it will. Or for the poll list. We're never truly done with comic books. Right, right. And if you're wondering why we didn't talk about, say, Luke Cage or the first issue episode of The Flash that came out, uh, Nick has only watched one episode of Luke Cage. Two. Two episodes of Luke Cage. I haven't finished it yet, and I uh, want to get a better sense of the whole thing since I usually watch the Marvel Netflix shows in one weekend. This was very weird for me to, to not have finished it almost a week later. It feels wrong, <laughs> but You're wrong. we'll discuss that at a, or at least I'll discuss it at a, uh, at a later date. Well, unfortunately, we are trying to get more discussions into the show, but we just got so wrapped up in everything else we were talking about that we've kind of come to the end of things. And luckily, Nick's already given us a recommendation, uh, which is perfect. You know, so now I can I can give mine here at the end. And it's so tempting, uh, so tempting to just say Westworld because Westworld is so great. Uh, but really, I'm gonna have to recommend Luke cage on netflix uh this is probably a a dumb recommendation you probably are watching the the netflix marvel series why in the world would i be recommending this to you uh but 
some people, you know, I, I talked to were not really feeling this one as much before things kicked off. Uh, but now that I've I've watched a bit of it, it is it is great. I would say it might actually be my second favorite uh, of of the stuff that's come out on on the Marvel Netflix side so far. As far as the the four seasons we've had, I would put this probably at number two behind the uh, first season of Daredevil for me. And uh, and I'll get more into that hopefully next week when I've wrapped up the series and can talk a little bit more about it as a complete product. And uh, Nick, do you have anything else you want to add here at the end of the show? No. Well, folks, thank you so much for listening. As always, we ask that you would go over and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast from, just so more people can hear us each week and, and join in the fun that you're having here with us. As always, if you enjoyed the show, please head on over to heckyeahcomics.com for more content or follow us on Twitter at heckyeahcomics. And please write in uh, you know, any discussion questions you might have. We're going to get back into those pretty soon. Uh, hopefully next episode we'll, we're going to tweak the format a little bit to get more of those in. and uh, Or just share your thoughts on stuff you're reading, books that came out whatever you want to tell us about your day, we're here for you. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter and uh, Snapchat on Davluz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. You can find Nick attempting to create his own Westworld robot out of uh, paper mache and a raspberry pie. As always, if you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends. And if you hated it, then please... Tell your enemies. Until next time, goodbye. Ever.